The idea, though, is we were at camp, and I really felt like God put it on a lot of your guys' hearts that you need to not just believe in Jesus, but you need to follow him. And I was thinking about what could we teach that would really help us understand that. One of the best things to go through about following Jesus is the Gospels, because the Gospels are the story of Jesus, and it not only talks about what Jesus does, but it talks about what his disciples does, so or what his disciples do. Minor grammatical errors. So, the first thing we need to ask ourselves, just as we open up John chapter 1, is who is Jesus? Now, we've all seen a lot of different versions of Jesus, like on TV and movies. A lot of times, like in movies like Passion of the Christ, we see the suffering Jesus, um, the crucified Jesus. Um, I think there's another type of Jesus that we can see a lot, which is this guy, which, you know, he doesn't really even exist. Like the white, Anglo-Saxon, Jared Leto Jesus. I just love how they're both making the awesome face. That guy's going to play the Joker in a movie coming up. But he's straight up, he looks like what we think Jesus looks like. Like the stereotypical long blonde hair. Um, man, you girls are staring extra long, I can see. All right, cool. Um, but like the long blonde hair and the perfect teeth and the perfect eyes. The Bible actually said that Jesus was a man of no notable appearance. You would see him and you'd be like, meh. <laughs> like, no girl would look at Jesus and be like, oh, interesting. You, you would look at him and you'd just be like, oh, I guess he's a... I don't know what you said, but uh, <laughs> I don't think he looked like Obama. Um, probably not, but he definitely didn't look like that guy. So somewhere in between. Um, another version of Jesus that we can see is the straight up hippie Jesus. And Lord, I just pray you make this. Yes, okay. See, it worked. That was hands free. It's all the spirit. So this guy. We can see that. We can see like the super hippie Jesus who's all about peace and love. And he's like, I am Jesus. Smell the lilies of the field with me. They're so nice. He's a good teacher. He's a wise man, um, a revolutionary. Um, I think we need to look at what the Bible says. We need to look into the word and see what does the Bible say about Jesus? Because we can learn so much. Really, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to understand things about who he is. We can sing a lot of songs and we can hear a lot of Bible studies, but if, unless we actually know deep in our hearts who Jesus is, it's going to be difficult to follow. So if you look at the Gospels, um, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, if you read it, it talks about the aspect of Jesus as king. He's coming from heaven to become the ruler of heaven and earth. Um, if you look at Mark... It talks a lot about Jesus as a servant, a suffering servant. This is another aspect of Jesus' personality. He's a king, but he also came to wash feet and heal the lepers and just amazing things. If you look at Luke, the Gospel of Luke, it's written by a guy named Dr. Luke, and he focused a lot on how Jesus was also a man. He was God, but we see the attributes of him being a man. And John is a little bit different, and John just has so much good stuff. So we're going to look at John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is a beautiful opening to the Gospel of John. I love this opening. But when I was younger, it confused me, because you know how a lot of times when we talk about the Word, what do we, what do we mean when we say the Word? The Bible, right. So the way I thought of it was like, in the beginning, there was space. And then a Bible like came like flapping its pages. It was like floating through space. Like that's kind of what I used to think. Or 
like maybe it was just one word. Like in the meeting was the word. So just imagine space, and then all of a sudden, like the word yo appears, or like hey, or sup. Like just just a word, just like Sesame Street style, where you see all the letters and it's floating in space. Like that's obviously not what we're talking about here. We see the clues. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. So who was God? Jesus. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that <laughs> Be gone, vile creature. Come on. Just, okay, so here's the deal. I don't know if you know this, but moths are attracted to light, so we're probably going to see him again. I don't think he's gone for good. I'm going to pray him away. He might come back. And if he does, I expect you to be mature adults about it. So, anyway. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We can find out more about what this Word means. When it says Word, it's actually a sweet, sweet Greek word that I promise is coming up. Um, Tim, if you want to go to the one that says sermons, and then John, and then the first one says John one word. You can help me if it's not working. So we want to go to the slide that says logos. Sweet. Thank you. So there's this sweet Greek word called logos. When it says in the beginning was the word, it's in the beginning was logos. And logos is a small word that packs a big meaning. Like, for instance, www. Like, it's not just like when you, if you read it, you're like, whoa. Dot com. Like, www means worldwide web. It means something. Same with BRB. Like, you're not just like, burb. You mean be right back. Or LOL means laughing out loud. I had a friend in junior high who used to actually just yell the word lol all the time. It was great. Here's what this word means. Logos. It means, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the ultimate message and statement of God. Think of that. God's ultimate message, what God wanted to say from the beginning of time, like everything that represents God and who he is and his heart and his character is wrapped up in this word logo. So our first point for today is just simply Jesus is what God has to say. Have you ever had a hard time figuring out what someone was trying to say on I think the last night at camp, Friday night, I caught these two Metro boys out trying to uh, sneak out to swim in the pool. And they were just a weird combination of people. Like, it was a strange, it was one really big guy, and the other guy was really small with, like, curly hair. And the, the one guy had a deep voice, and the other guy was, like, really high-pitched voice. And I asked them, like, what are you guys doing out here? And they were like, the one guy was like, let me tell you what happened. I'm going to tell you what happened. Here's what happened. Let me, let me tell you what happened. This is what happened. And I was just like, what are you trying to say, Isaac? Do you guys remember Isaac? I, can't, I, just, I had no idea what that guy was trying to say. Sometimes we read the Bible and we have no idea what it's trying to say. Because sometimes there's weird verses in the Bible. Like this weird verse. Right here. Genesis 15.9. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. What is God trying to say in this passage? Apparently, God doesn't like old pigeons? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I have no idea. So, sometimes we can read the Bible, and we can wonder, what is God trying to say? Here's 
my encouragement for any of you guys who are ever wondering, how does God feel about me? I don't understand God's heart for me. I don't understand if God even cares about me. Maybe you've, maybe you've thought that. Jesus is what God has to say. We just did this big picture series where we looked at from the beginning of Adam and Eve all the way to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the 12 brothers, David, the kings, the prophets. It's not just a bunch of random story. All of that was leading to Jesus coming so that he could save us to love you, to have a relationship with you. If you're ever wondering, like, what does God think about me? What would God say to me? If God could sit down and say something to me, what he would say to you is Jesus. He would say, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. Jesus died for you. He hurts for you. Jesus died for us. Would you die for someone that you like weren't sure that you cared about? Like, can you imagine, guys? Like, just imagine, guys, you're talking to your friends, and you met some, they met some girl at camp. And like, hey, like, what do you think about that girl? The guy's like, oh, I don't know. She's okay, I guess. Like, I'm not really sure about her. Like, I talked to her for five seconds. And you're like, well, what are you gonna do, bro? I'm gonna die for her. I would die for Riley. Inside out. You would not do that. You would not be willing to die for someone that you were like, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess they're okay. I've only talked to them for five seconds. God was willing to die for us because he was absolutely sure before we were even born that he loved us. And that's amazing. Let's keep reading in John 1. It says in John 1, verse 3, all things were made through him and without him, was not anything made that was made. It's basically just saying Jesus is the creator. Nothing that was ever made has not been made without the influence and power of Jesus Christ. So I used to think of in the beginning, there was just space, and then God, I thought of him as like the guy with the long white beard, and he's making things. But what we've learned is that Jesus was there. The Holy Spirit was there. That's just To me, I get excited about that. I don't know if that excites you, but to know that Jesus has always been around, that Jesus has always been a part of God's plan, that Jesus has always been thinking of me and thinking of you and dreaming up plans and things from his heart. I love that. One of the things that I think is awesome to look at is just the idea that Jesus holds the universe together. I hate science class. If you want to throw that slide up. And just be watching the whole time because I think my phone is satanic. So it's Jesus holds the universe together. Awesome. So I hate science class, or I hated it when I was a kid because we had a science teacher who was very monotone. This is how he talked. And now we're going to look at the molecule and we can see if we combine it with. Like already, already you're falling asleep. That was my science teacher. It was Phil Wickham's father in law now. He's a good guy, but really, really boring science teacher. I'm sorry if you're listening. I love science now, though. Like, back in the day, I hated it. I fell asleep. I was always calling the girls in my class, like, to try to understand how to do the labs. Does anyone else have trouble with the labs in science class? Like, I'm always like, what are we doing? Like, what is this? Now I love science. Like, now that I'm not being forced to learn about it, I love it because the universe is so amazing, and it's huge and it's expanding and there's so many mysteries and I love it because as a follower of God I can understand that Jesus has always been around he created the universe I can enjoy science because I'll watch a science show like Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson which is an awesome show but he's not a Christian so you're watching and he's like yeah like 
We don't know how this got here. and We don't know how that got there. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I know. God is the one who made it. In fact, there's this concept in the universe called dark matter. Have you guys ever heard of dark matter? Dark matter is where scientists basically say something is holding the universe together. And we don't know what it is. It's this mysterious force. And I love that. Like, they don't know. And I'm glad that they, they, they can admit it. They just, you know, they don't know. So they straight up tell us. We don't know what it is. We just call it dark matter. It's this mysterious, invisible force. Um, there's a quote from a scientist that says, this is William J. Broad. He says, a cosmic mystery of immense proportions, once seemingly on the verge of a solution, has deepened and left astronomers and astrophysicists more baffled than ever. The crux is that the vast majority of the mass of the universe seems to be missing. It's basically saying the universe is held up by something, but we can't see it. It's invisible. Like, what? how does that even work? There was a Hebrew scholar who had this to say. His name is Philo. He wrote the logos, remember, the word, God, what God had to say, Jesus. Jesus, the logos, the word of the living God, is the bond of everything, holding all things together and binding all the parts and preventing them from being dissolved and separated. Jesus is the one who holds everything together. And this is what gets me excited, is that if God is holding, literally holding the entire universe together, how much more does he care about my problems? How much more does he care about your problems? The things that maybe you freak out about, you think no one cares about this. Like no, no one cares about my anxiety. No one cares about my fear. No one cares about my problems. No one cares about what's going on in my heart. God is holding the universe together. He is able to hold all of that and to care about what's going on with you. And he does. He loves you. Another thing that we see is just this idea that Jesus is God's chosen tool for his most important job. He's the instrument, the instrument for what he wants to do in the world. I have my favorite tool. I'm not, some of you guys who know me, you know I'm not really like a tools guy. Like I, the only thing I ever fix really is computers. I don't fix cars. I, I call like older, wiser people to do that for me. Um, but I have one tool that I like. It's a screwdriver that's got like 10 different screwdrivers built into it. And it's got a flashlight. And I love that. Because, like, if I break my computer in the dark, I can, like, grab the tiniest little screwdriver. And, like, you know the laptops have, like, those tiny screws, anybody? Like, they're so tiny. And I can shine in the dark. It's like, why don't you just turn on a light? I don't want to. I want to use my sweet flashlight. Um, God is like that. He fixes everything, and he's the light. He looks at our brokenness, and he shines the light into it. And he wants to fix it. Man's brokenness brings a wall of separation between us and God. Man is broken in every possible way. I see that really clearly when I look at this guy. Uh, it's sad. This guy, who's going to be on the screen any second. Okay, so this dude, interesting guy, he wants to be like Kim Kardashian so bad that he just cannot stop injecting like plastic surgery into his lips. He's just blowing up his lips. They're getting huge and shaving his head because I think he wants to wear Kardashian wigs. And it's just gnarly. And what happened was he's trying to make himself happy. He's looking in the mirror. And he's like, I don't like what I see. But I like how Kim Kardashian looks, so I'm going to look like her. He's obsessed. And he's just going for it. And he thinks it's going to make him happy. But what ended up happening was his lips are leaking. Like holes are bursting in his lips. And the, the fluid is leaking out. And when they interviewed him, and they're like, hey, man, like, 
you've got holes in your lips. Like, do you think that's a problem? He's like, oh yeah, it's definitely a problem because if my lips shrink back down, that's not me. Like, I gotta be this way. And I'm not trying to make fun of him, but here's the thing. Honestly, we're just the same as this guy. Like, honestly, you're like, no, I'm not. I just see my face. It's 100% natural. I haven't done anything. Well, maybe a little mascara or something. But we're honestly the same because we're unsatisfied. Honestly, we're unsatisfied. Think, think about it. Are you satisfied with yourself? Have you ever photoshopped a picture of yourself to try and make yourself look more attractive? I know people who have. It's, we have a, an unsatisfaction with who we are, how we look, how we act. As much as some of us try to act cool in front of people, when we're alone, that's where our insecurities come out. And we're always looking at someone else going, if I could be just a little bit more like them, if I could look just a little bit more like them, if I could dress and act and talk, we want to be somebody else. We have brokenness in our heart. We're unsatisfied. And a lot of times we just fill our hearts with junk. We fill our hearts with just silicone. We fill it with nastiness. And what happens is we think we're filling our heart, but really we're just bursting more holes in it and we're leaking all over the place. Jesus wants to rebuild us and he wants to make us new. And that is awesome. If you're here today, maybe you need to hear that. Jesus wants to rebuild you and make you new. I can't pronounce that guy, but I'm going to try. Abinaji. Abrajani. Abrajani. Hey, thanks. This is an awesome quote from him. He says, hearts rebuilt from hope resurrect dreams killed by hate. For every single one of us, we need to understand Satan hates us. He's out to kill every dream you've ever had. Everything you've ever wanted to do. Think about it. Some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's things in your hearts, maybe things you've never even admitted to anybody, but things you want to do for the Lord. Things you want to do to make a difference in the world. Things you want to do to bless people and love people. But Satan just comes and he loves to crush those dreams. He loves to point us to our failures. He loves to point us to our weaknesses. He likes to point our shortcomings and say, you can never be what God wants you to be because you're always going to be this. You're always going to be this way. You're always going to be messed up. But as we learn to camp, Jesus gives hope. He's the hope bringer. We can put our hope in the anchor of Christ. Jesus loves to take our brokenness and resurrect it into something awesome. So I've got a stupid little illustration. You guys are totally going to make fun of me. I don't care. There was, um, when I used to work with John Barger, we had this doll of Kermit the Frog that sat in the corner of our office. And uh, we, we, if you guys don't know, me and John Barger, we had this puppet thing we did. We were trying to be the next Sesame Street. And we had this Kermit that sat on the wall. And he was robotic. If he pushed his tummy, he would like start making noises and like moving his arm and be like, ah, hi, like he, he'd do it. It was awesome. But then his batteries died. And we tried to put new batteries in, he was broken. And our dream of having a Kermit was gone. He was gone. He was just a dead, lifeless, nothing puppet. Actually, he wasn't even a puppet. He was just a doll that did nothing. He just sat there. Well, I looked at him, and I was like, you could be so much more than just this broken, stupid doll. So I got some scissors and an X-Acto knife and a hammer, and I just went in there and sawed through the bottom of him, and I ripped out that broken, defective, robotic nothingness that was there, that box that did nothing. Like, you've pushed it. It was supposed to move. It was supposed to have life. It had nothing. So I ripped it out, pulled it out, 
like just cut so many holes into them. And now I'll show them to you. Give me a second. Kermit the Frog here. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so um, that's way better. Like, you can't get that on eBay for like 800 bucks. Like, a working, actual, like, Kermit the Frog that looks good. That's amazing. Now, you guys are like, what am I talking about? Here's what I'm talking about God likes to take something that's broken and worthless and doesn't do anything anymore. And sometimes it's, it's tough for us because He looks at you and He's like, You're broken. I've got to cut away some of the nastiness. I've got to get in there and I've got to remove some things. But when I'm done, you're going to be way better and way more useful than you ever were before. I hope that makes sense. If you're here today and there's any brokenness in you, if you're here today and you've sinned and you've messed up and you just you feel that brokenness in your heart, you need to know that God loves you and he wants to repair your broken heart and restore the dreams that he has for you. <clears throat> Jesus, this is a quote from Eugene Peterson. He said, Jesus is eternally and tirelessly bringing everything and everyone together. The energy of reconciliation is the dynamo at the heart of the universe. Since the beginning, since Adam, since that first act of eating that fruit and that wall of separation came up, Jesus has been tirelessly and relentlessly working to repair that. You know how we sing that song, Your Love is Relentless? We love that song. I love that song. You need to know. That just because Jesus' work on the cross is done, that doesn't mean that he's not still relentlessly trying to rid you of sin. He's like a doctor who looks at you and says, I'm not satisfied until every bit of cancer is removed from your body. And really, that's, that's the kind of doctor you want. You want the kind of doctor who wants to remove that. Jesus loves his family, and he is constantly on a mission to bring his family back. He's looking at people who are not saved, and he's like, I am just desperately working to bring them back to me. And he's looking at you who are saved, saying, I am desperately working to continue to bring you closer to my heart. We need to understand that Jesus is the bridge between God and humanity. Does anyone like the Indiana Jones ride? I love the Indiana Jones ride. I'm riding on that at Disneyland. It's awesome. And like, there's like fake arrows flying at me, and I'm screaming like a woman, even though they're fake. And like fake snakes, like it's just noises, but you know, it's, it's snakes. You don't want snakes. And then you go over the bridge, and it's like lava. Like lava. It's fake lava. But I feel like if you fell off that bridge, you'd still get hurt. Like, you know, it's like five feet down. I don't know. It's scary, though, for like a little kid. But what's even more scary is the idea of hell. Like the reality that there's this gap between God and man. Like, there's this separation that makes it so that God cannot get to man and man cannot get to God. And it's sin. It's a chasm. It's a gap. And if you fall into it, you end up separated from God for eternity. We created this gap with our sin, but God loved us so much that he decided he wanted to build a bridge between us. That's why when we went street witnessing, I was talking to some atheists and they were like, why do you care so much? And I was like, listen, like, I care so much because I don't want anyone to be separated from God. I care so much because I want you to be a part of God's family. And I want you to know that I'm a sinner just like you, but it's only by the grace of God that I'm allowed to be a part of his family. God made a bridge for you to cross over to him. That's why I care. 
And some people view God as this angry God who's angry at people and pushing people into the pit. Like God's looking at sinners and going, oh, I can't believe they did that. Oh, get in there. And he's pushing them into the fire. That is not true of God's heart. The only reason anyone perishes is because they simply do not cross over the bridge. That's really the only reason. They reject the bridge. They decide not to cross over it. I'm going to show you guys a picture. It's a very beautiful picture. Let's see if it comes up. It's almost there. All right. So what this is, it's very pretty, right? This is a bunch of Buddhist monks. And they are lighting candles. It's this beautiful show. And they're trying to connect with the spiritual realm. But the sad thing is, as much as they might pray to Buddha or try to reach nirvana, which is this heightened spiritual state, nothing that they ever will do will accomplish anything. And that just breaks my heart because I look at this picture and I'm like, that, that looks beautiful. Like that's, that's a beautiful act of worship, but it's going to the wrong place. It's like casting pearls in front of pigs. It's like, it's not going to go anywhere. But the logos, remember in the beginning was Jesus. The logos, Jesus, was sent to bridge the enormous gap between God and the material world. There's a lot of people who say that we need to coexist. And they'll say all roads lead to heaven. Honestly, when I was younger as a Christian, even as a junior high pastor, I was listening to an old message I taught on this same chapter and just listening to the way I talked. Like, very rude to people who have different beliefs. I was like, yeah, you know, if you, uh, you know, you don't want to believe in God, why don't you just believe in unicorns? Maybe unicorns will save you. Like, that was where I was at, like, just making fun of people who had different beliefs. And now I don't want to make fun of them. I have compassion for them. Because I see they're, they're walking on a path that they think will lead to life, but it's only leading to death. And that is so sad. And I've used this illustration before, but just if you're here today and you're wondering, like, well, what about Buddhism? What about Mormonism? What about the Muslim faith? What about all these different things? Like, why can't we just choose a path and go on and hope we end up in heaven? Like, don't all roads lead to heaven if you're a good person and you follow some sort of religious order? Listen, religion is man trying to earn his way to God. Jesus offers you a relationship, and that relationship is the only thing that allows you to be connected to God. It's the only thing. And just very simply, if I'm trying to drive to Disneyland, which is the happiest place on earth, I can't go, I know Disneyland is that way, but I'm going to drive that way or that way or that way or that way, and I'll probably end up there because all roads lead to Disneyland, right? No, there's a way to get there. You have to put it in your GPS and you have to go. If Disneyland is that complex that you have to pick a road that works and stick with it, why would heaven be any less like rigid? Why would heaven be like, hey, just do whatever you want and you'll end up there? Please, if you've ever thought that, do not be deceived. We've talked to so many people on the street, street witnessing, who believe that. And I just, man, it's sad. I was talking to, um, just the other day when we went out street witnessing, I talked to a surfer. And I asked him, like, he was with a group of friends, and I was like, hey, man, like, what do you think about Jesus? You know, I, I, told, I told him about Jesus, and I was like, what do you think? And he's like, oh, I believe. Like, I believe in Jesus. He's like, I just, I just don't really want to talk about it. Like, I don't really think it's my place. Like, it's just kind of this thing between me and God. I don't want to involve my friends with it. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to my friends about it. And I told him, I was like, bro, where's your compassion? Like, where, where's your, like, heart for the lost, dude? Because think about it. If you're with a group of friends 
and everybody's like walking towards a cliff and you're the only person who actually knows the straight road and you just let your friends walk off the cliff, like where's your compassion in that? And his mindset comes from this idea that originated somewhere where it was like, it's about us having a personal relationship with Jesus. Where it's like, Jesus is just my little personal savior and I kind of take him with me everywhere I go and it's just me and him and he tells me what to do. Listen, Jesus said he came to bring the light into the world. We're called to bring the light. We're called to guide people away from darkness. The light is not something, we're not supposed to carry around little candles. As the church, as Christians, it's kind of like we all have like a little candle. If we all group together and live for that light, that light's going to get bigger and people are going to see it. It shouldn't just be a personal thing. It should be. We should have a personal walk with God. But we must reach people with the gospel. Bernard Russell, I think is his name. It's really small. Bertrand Russell says the hardest thing to learn in life is which bridge to cross and which to burn. It's very simple. Look at the bridge where you're on this side and God's on that side. Jesus is the bridge. The cross is the bridge. Take that bridge and don't look back. And if you've got to burn bridges, burn those bridges that give you easy access to sin. When you're trying to walk with Jesus, if, you, if you're on the other side, imagine this. There's a chasm, like there's this big gap, and you're on this side, and Jesus is on this side. And you cross over, but then you like throw some ropes over to the other side because you're like, you know, sometimes I want to sin. Like I've got my church face, but sometimes I like to like on the weekends have a little bit of fun. So I just want to make sure there's this little bridge back to the world so I can get – listen, if you do that, you are in danger. You're in danger of falling into destructive sin that will ruin your life Burn those bridges, like whatever it takes. Now, I'm not talking about hate people, you know? Sometimes we think of burn bridges as like, oh, those people in my life who caused me a sin. Like, I just don't want to ever talk to them again. Listen, cross to the other side, get filled up with light, and then go shine your light on those people. They need that light. They're, listen, you guys have been filled with the light. I've seen it. School's starting back up soon. You're going to be around a lot of people in darkness. That light needs to be brought there. In John 1 verse 4 says, in him, in him was the life. Let me see. Uh, Tim, can we move that over? Okay. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Read that last part. This is really good. The darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light. Like we were just talking about, as Christians, we need to understand disciples are light bearers. We're someone who's called to take the light into a dark place. We should be excited to share the light. And just think of this, like, I was thinking about this, and I was like, like, has anyone ever been shy to share something God put on their heart? Like, anybody? Will you admit that? Like, yeah, I have. Okay, now imagine... Imagine, like, that you're the only person in the world that an alien has visited. Like, just imagine you're in your backyard, sitting on a log, when all of a sudden, like, a spaceship comes down. It's like, and, like, the beam of light erupts, and the alien comes out, and he's like, I have a message to you for humanity. And it's this, like, amazing message. Like, I'm going to come back in 10 years and give everybody free PlayStations, like, the newest model. And Xboxes, and a million dollars. 
You'd, like, you'd, you'd freak out. You'd be like, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened. You'd want to tell people. Like, you'd want to let people know what was going on. You'd be excited because you're like, hey, like the alien talked to me. Like the alien actually – I don't know about you. Like maybe you'd be shy about sharing that. But for me, I'd be like, oh my gosh. Like I know people would think I was crazy, but I wouldn't care. If a real alien showed up, I'd be like, yes, people must know. Like, and they'd probably just think I was a weird alien guy. But if an alien really showed up, I'd be like, you got to know about this. The God who created the universe, like all the planets, all the stars, he showed up and spoke to us. Like you have all had God speak to your hearts. Why are we so shy to share that? Why is it like, oh yeah, I was, guess I was reading my Bible the other day. I mean, I don't know, it's just the Bible. It's God's word, like the deity, like the, the spiritual being who created the universe has something he wants to say to us. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. The other thing is we should have a mission mindset. We should have a mission mindset. We shouldn't be lazy rescue workers. When we were up at camp, uh, some of the kids got lost in the woods. You know? Remember that? And, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm like, we got to call, like, the guy who runs the camp. We got to figure this out. We got to get the kids. And there was this one guy who worked at the camp. And I was talking to him. I was like, can I borrow your walkie-talkie? Like, I got to get a hold of people. And he's like... Uh, what are they lost in the woods? Like, eh, whatever. Like, we don't need to tell. We don't need to tell Greg. I'm like, no, we need to tell Greg. And he's like, no, I don't. I don't think we do. And he walked away. And I was like, oh my goodness, don't be like that. Don't be lazy rescue workers. There are people out there dying. There are people out there lost. We can't just have this mindset of like, oh, someone else will get them. Someone else will witness to them. What if? What if they don't? What if it's just us? What if we're the ones? I love the verse where it talks about the darkness not being able to comprehend it. And another version says, overcome it. There was a story about this woman. She lived in Uganda and she got saved. She was the only person in her tribe who got saved. She believed in Jesus. She walked with Jesus. And her husband, he's the chief of the tribe and they're into witch doctors and magic. So he finds out and he beats her. Like he just beats the living daylights out of her. She's lying on the floor, bleeding, and, and he's like, what can your God do for you now? And she looks up at him, and she's just got tears in her eyes, and she goes, he can help me forgive you. That is the power of God. Like, no darkness can overcome the light of Jesus Christ. No matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done, no darkness can overcome that light. In John 6, it says there was a man sent from God. So this is, it's, he's talking about God, how God's light. Now it's getting into the story. There was this man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist was honestly kind of like the Shia LaBeouf of his day. Like seriously, think about it. Think, think about it, okay? If you heard that, like, a, like, like I'm not going to tell you who, but there's a celebrity, and he grew his hair out really long, moved into the woods, started eating bugs, and he just yells at people all the time. Honestly, the first person, I would, I'd be like, Shia LaBeouf, obviously, like, it's him. He's out there, and he's like, just do it! Just follow Jesus! I don't know what just happened there. Um... 
he's out there. Like, this guy eats bugs. He eats locusts. He dips them in honey. He's wearing a crazy... He, he runs over to camels, and he, like, chops off their skin and, like, wears it. He's... No, like, camel fur, camel skin. He's out there. Like, he... People are like, this guy is crazy, but he's really entertaining to watch. He was a light bearer because he had the message in his heart. God came to this guy named John and said, listen, someone named Jesus is coming. You've got to go prepare the way. And he was unashamed. I don't know what he did before. Maybe he was like an upstanding guy. Maybe he had like a little bakery shop and everyone knew him as John the baker. And then one day God comes to him and says, leave everything. Leave everything behind. Go in the wilderness. Eat bugs. Wear crazy camel skin. People are going to think you're crazy, but it's going to be used for my glory. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to leave our social status? Are we willing to lay down our dreams and our desires and our future and college and career and all this stuff? Are we willing to lay down our hopes and dreams for what those things are to do whatever God calls us to do? John did it, and Jesus said, there's no one greater on the planet than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. He's like, out of all the people, all the men who are living or who have ever lived, no one is greater than John. That's amazing. Was he successful? No. He was basically a hobo in the wilderness. Was he a great businessman? No. He ate bugs. But God looked at him and said he's the greatest because he was willing to actually do what Jesus said. And John, it says... Um, let me see. Verse 8. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John knew it wasn't about him. He knew he wasn't the light. It wasn't the John the Baptist show. Everyone come out and see John. People were attracted to him because he seemed crazy and interesting, but he always pointed back to Jesus. What he said was, he's like, guys, listen, there's someone coming who's so holy and so great. I'm not even worthy to like undo his shoelaces and take off his shoe. Like he is so great and so worthy. And I baptize people with water. He was a baptizer. He would, you know, like at the pool at camp, he baptized people with water. But he said, one day someone's going to come who's greater than me. And he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire. He's getting everyone psyched up. They're like, who is this guy? Like, when is he going to come? He's preparing the way for Jesus. And you know what? We're called to do that. Because remember, Jesus, I mean, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, we're supposed to prepare the way for Jesus. He already came and died on the cross. Yeah, but he's coming again. The second coming. We're called to be like John the Baptist, to prepare the way. To go out and make utter fools of ourselves and have people think we're crazy because we love Jesus so much. And if we do, people will get saved. If we're willing to put aside our time and go out and tell people, if we're willing to sit down with our friends and family members and say, hey, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I believe in Jesus and here's why you should too. If we're willing to do that, we're preparing the way for the second coming of Jesus and more people are going to be a part of his family. But what we can do is we can block the light. I'm going to show you a picture of a guy who is blocking the light. This guy. Look at that. That's great. I don't know what those sticks are for. He's like, I'm going to go play croquet. There's so many things going on in this picture. Like, like, why the wired microphone in the rain? Like, what has he got clipped to his chest? What's in his pockets? I really want to know. Like, how many notches is that belt in? Like, I, this guy's great. I saw this guy walking down the street, and he had that giant umbrella, and the sun was out. And yes, it was blocking him from the rain, but it was also blocking him from the light. The light couldn't get him. He just had his head down, and he was just walking, and no light could get to him. I think sometimes we can do that. 
We can either block the light of Jesus because it's all about us. We look at our life and it's like, it's all focused on me. It's just, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do to make me happy? What can I do to make me successful? And it's like this giant umbrella and Jesus is trying to shine his light and we're just blocking it. Or distractions. There's so many things going on in our life. There's so many things we're focused on and we're blocking the light. Maybe you're here today and you've been blocking the light. Jesus has been trying to reach you and speak to you, and you're just blocking it because you've got your head down and you're focused on yourself. I want to read you a lyric from a song um, from my favorite pastor um, right now, and you can go to the next slide. His name's Josh White, and he's a musician and a pastor. He wrote this song called um, To Burn In You, and it's so good. He says in the first line of the song, Oh, Lord, I am like the moon. Without the sun, I hang in darkness too. So be the light that shines through. Reflect off me the love that comes from you. Isn't that good? That's so good. The moon doesn't generate any light. Like the moon doesn't produce light from within itself. The sun does. So for the moon to actually be light, it has to reflect the light of the sun. And just like us as Christians, we must reflect the light of Jesus. Or we'll just hang in darkness. We need to let his light shine through us. As we're wrapping up today, just a few more thoughts. John 1 verse 9 says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Can you imagine if you showed up one day at your family home and you're like, mom, dad, I'm here. And they're like, we don't know you. Like, who are you? Like, what? Like, ugh, get out of here. You're disgusting. Can you imagine? You'd be like, no, like, stop joking around. Your brothers and sisters come out like, mom, dad, who's that? Should we call the police? They look creepy. And like your family like casts you out. Imagine how Jesus felt to see the people that he created. The people that he knew before they were even born. The people that he was like, I want to love them. I want to bless them. I want them to be a part of my family. And they rejected him. And they spit on him. He was the light in the darkness. And they were just trying to put out his light. And he came to love his people and his family. And he was rejected. It's heartbreaking when you just consider what Jesus went through for us. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or by the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but God. The final point about God today is that disciples have a heart for God's family. And listen, if you're, you're a disciple, if you follow Jesus, you're a disciple here today. I want to challenge you, have a heart for God's family. Not just your family here at the church, but understand there are people scattered all around the world who belong in God's family rightfully. They belong in God's family, but they don't know him yet because they're still in the darkness. We have the light. We were down at uh, Encinitas, and uh, I was with a bunch of the kids, and there was this one girl with us named Lauren Gomez. Some of you guys know her. She's awesome. So we were with Lauren. We were with the other kids, and we saw these surfers. And I was like, we should go talk to them. And the kids were like, yeah, awesome. So we start walking towards them, and they get in their car, and they start driving away. And at that point, I'm like, uh, I mean, they're driving away, so that would be weird. Lauren, like, runs over to their car and, like, almost, like, dives through the window. She's like, hey, stop. You need to hear about Jesus. And as a pastor, I was just like, yes. Like, 
this is awesome. Like, she's braver than I am. Like, this is what I want. Like, that's amazing. She cared so much that they heard the gospel. And, you know, they heard it and they were like, okay, yeah, whatever. And they drove off. But I believe that they're going to remember, especially when they're going through a tough time, they're going to remember like, wow, that, that girl cared enough about us that she wanted us to be a part of God's family so bad that she almost dove through our car window. Like rescue mission. Like that's what it's about. It's about being weird and being awkward and like laying down our inhibitions and living for Christ. And Lauren's awesome. If you guys don't, I, mean, I asked her, you know, can I share this? And she said, yeah, she's somebody who she came to junior high camps when she's young. If you guys met her at camp, she, she's awesome. She came to junior high camps when she was young and then totally backslid and fell away from the Lord for like years. Just and every year around camp, I would just text her or Facebook her and just be like, hey, come to camp. And she'd be like, yeah, maybe. And she never would. This year she did. And she gave her life back to Jesus. And now she's full of that light. And now she's like, I can't stop talking about Jesus. Listen up, those of you who are like me who grew up in the church. Because you can't let this stuff become dead to you. You have to remember that without Jesus, you would be a wretched sinner with no hope destined for hell. It's so easy for us to just make light of it. We can't, though. We can't forget the gospel. We can't forget it. I want you just to picture with me, just as we go to the next slide, a church that's full of light. And you look inside of it, and it's just glowing. And just imagine just 10 hundred times brighter than this, just, just light everywhere. You walk in and it's warm and there's people in there and they're warm and friendly and it's the family of God and they love you and just you feel like at home there. You feel like you can be open there. You feel like you can be free there and just there's light everywhere. But then imagine that somebody goes to the back door and they open it and somebody screams, close the door. Don't let the darkness in. Close it. Can you imagine like how crazy that would be? It's a room full of light. What is the darkness going to do? The darkness can't overcome the light. But sometimes that's how we in the church act. We act like the church is our little Christian social club where we come to be good. And if someone bad walks through the door, someone bad, right? I remember I was talking to a parent who's like, I'm never letting my daughter go to that youth group. They swear. There are children who swore at that youth group. I like your youth group, Aaron. Everyone doesn't. And I was like, I wish I had more people who swore. You know why? Because they need Jesus. Like, if we're just the same group of people who have grown up in this church, and if all that happens in this youth group is that you guys grow up and then I pastor your younger brothers and sisters, like, what are we doing? We need people here who don't know Jesus. We need people to come who are a little bit rough around the edges. And when they come, we need to love them. We need to be, hey, sit next to me. And if they let out a cuss word, we need, we need to not look at them like, like, what are you doing? Like, we need to love on them and show them Jesus. Like, they've got darkness in their hearts, but we did too before we knew Jesus. We need to be a youth group that is so light that we have the, it's, we're full of light, but the doors are wide open. And we say, hey, come in, come experience the light. Don't stay out in the darkness. And then sometimes we need to go out of the light and we need to walk out into the darkness carrying our lanterns. We need to take the light from in here and bring it out there. If we just stay in here, that's all we ever do. We're not taking the gospel into the world. The 
last thing I want to say, just as we wrap up, just consider these verses really quick. Because these are just, these are awesome. Just really, 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 really think about these verses with me. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And then in John 1, 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This, this is right here. This is where we want to wrap up this verse. No one has ever seen God. No one. Like no one, no human has actually ever really seen what God really looks like. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus has made God known. My last, just last final point, just as we... Think about this verse. His disciples are with their master. You're called to walk with Jesus. You're called to walk with Jesus. He is with you. As a teenager, I felt unseen. I felt invisible. My best friend was the most popular guy in school. I was so far on the end of the popularity spectrum. Just, I was only friends with him and I wasn't friends with anybody else. And he liked me, but no one else. I didn't get invited anywhere. People didn't want to be around me. They thought I was weird. They thought I was the pastor's son, so I was always going to tattletale on people. I think I just I felt so ostracized as a high school student. I felt like I was invisible. I felt like I would never be a part of the cool crowd. I felt like I would never fit in. I felt unseen and I felt unloved. But God saw me. God knew me, and God longed to have a relationship with me. And the verse says, no one has ever seen God. I know I hadn't seen him. Like I hadn't seen what he actually looked like. But Jesus loved me so much that he died for me and he saw the wall of sin between me and him and he tore that wall down with his bare hands as he died on the cross. And in the gospel, when Jesus died on the cross, it says that the veil in the temple was torn. And now, I can see God. You can see God. We don't see him with our eyes. We see him with our heart. Do you get that? We can see God. Before, when no one could see God, no one except like Moses and, and just special certain people got chosen to just catch a little glimpse of God, we get to see God's entire heart and desire and love for humanity. We get that. And now I see God everywhere. I do every sunset. I see God. I look at the sunset. I'm just like, what a master artist. Like, it's so beautiful. God painted that for me. When I look at my wife in the morning and I just wake up and I see her next to me, I'm just like, I just, I see God. I see his guidance and his provision in my life, I see that he's blessed me with my best friend. Last night at the wedding, when I 
said hi to Evan Wickham's little baby girl, Harper. I said hi. She like stuck out her hands and like wanted me to hold her. I'd never met her before. And I, I saw God in that. Just I saw just the nature of God just creating children. And God wants that kind of relationship with us where he walks up and we stick out our arms and say, hold me, Father. And home fellowship on Friday when we sat around the fire and you guys shared from your heart, I saw God and I heard from his heart. And even last night, as we were at the wedding, you guys know Ethan Hill. And we drove three hours to be at this wedding. And it was just so sad because they had planned everything and there's all this beautiful stuff and decorations outdoors. And it rained like cats and dogs. And they had to move everybody in the wedding into this small living room. But as I talked to the bride, I saw God because what she said was, it wasn't what we expected, but it was perfect. God provided for us. Like, this is the most beautiful wedding ever. To see her heart not complaining, to see just joy in her heart that she's just so happy for what God has provided, I saw God in that. And I want you to know God is constantly trying to reveal himself to you. As you walk with him, don't just let Sundays be the place where you come and hear about God. Listen. Listen to what God is saying to you. He's constantly trying to reveal himself and his heart to you. He's everywhere. My challenge for you today as we leave is always be looking to see God, to see his nature, to see his heart, and always be looking to see what is my identity as a disciple. How can I follow God in my family? How can I follow God in my school? How can I follow God in my group of friends? Remember, we're light bearers. We carry that torch into the darkness. If you're not carrying that light, as we just finish with one song, I want to challenge you. Ask the Lord to fill you back up with that light. If you feel dark today, if you feel like you've got nothing, if you feel empty, just as we sing one more song, I just want to ask you, go to God and say, God, fill my lantern back up. Help me to have something I can carry into the darkness. Sound good? Cool. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. God, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, your identity. You've revealed, God, that you are the creator. You've created everything. God, you've revealed that you're the lover of everyone and everything. And God... You are the ultimate message. Jesus is the ultimate word. From the beginning of time, you have always longed to rescue your people. You've always wanted to save us. God, help us to carry that message of light into the darkness where we live, where we go. Help us, God, not just to be asleep in the light, but help us, Lord, to wake up. And I just, I know this message was long, but God, I pray that you would just plant deep in the hearts of these students the truth from it. The truth that we're called not just to be Christians who sit in churches, but disciples who follow you with their whole hearts. We love you, God. Help us to follow you and help us to carry that light, the light that shined on our darkness. Help us to be like the moon and reflect the light of the sun. Without your light, we just hang in darkness. Help us, God, to reflect you today.